the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. When I was in the seventh grade, I had a girlfriend. Oh, a lot of heads went up on that one. I had a girlfriend named Donna. And we were boyfriend and girlfriend, you know how it is, for, for a time. We were going steady for, for a time. I can't remember exactly how long, but my friends talked me into breaking up with her for some reason. I can't even remember the reason why. So I did. I still kind of liked her, though. In the eighth grade, she had another boyfriend, but I heard that uh, she had broken up with him. So I thought, well, this might be an opportunity, you know, to get back together with her. So I asked her to be my girlfriend again. And her answer was, no. Sorry. And, you know, that rejection was kind of painful for a a 13-year-old. And I, maybe some of you can relate to that story. I mean, you've probably experienced rejection at least once in your life. Probably more than that. And it's painful. Uh, whether it's a relationship with someone, a job that you were not chosen to fill, or being cut from the team, or whatever it was. Anytime you experience rejection, your self-esteem kind of takes a hit. Over the past several weeks, we've kind of been, we've been identifying some of the barriers that the early church faced in the book of Acts as they began spreading the word about Jesus after his resurrection. I mean, we looked at the various ways Satan attempted to thwart the spreading of the word. Satan used the religious leaders to try to bully or intimidate the apostles into silence. And when that didn't work, Satan tried to distract the church by creating problems from within the body when the Greek widows complained about not being treated fairly. And after that issue was resolved, Satan resorted to direct persecution in the stoning of Stephen and, 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 the, and using a man named Saul to begin a house-to-house campaign to persecute Christians. So this morning I'm going to highlight another method Satan employs to try and stop the spreading of the word, and it, of course it involves rejection. In Acts 13, the church in Antioch that was in Syria was directed by the Holy Spirit to send out Paul and Barnabas as the first missionaries 
to proclaim the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles in areas outside of Syria. And they sailed first to the island of Cyprus, not far from Syria and Mediterranean Sea, to a city called Salamis. And they went on from there to Pamphylia in Asia Minor, which is in today southern Turkey. And then to Antioch of Pisidia, which was just north of Pamphylia. And they concentrated their efforts. When they went to those places, they concentrated their efforts in the Jewish synagogues in those cities. The rulers of the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia invited Paul and Barnabas to speak. And so Paul, of course, stood up and he began to preach. And he gave them a quick history of Israel from the Exodus to the time of David in Acts 13, verses 16 through 22. And he then made the point that God brought to them Jesus as a Savior who was a descendant of David, just as he promised. And Paul then explained how the rulers in Jerusalem failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Primarily because they didn't understand the prophets who had prophesied about Jesus. Which is why they asked Pilate to execute him. And after Jesus was executed, God raised him from the dead. Paul's audience here was primarily Jewish. So he quoted Old Testament passages that, that you know, referred to Jesus. He quoted Psalm 2-7 that reads, you, know, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He quoted Psalm 16-10 where David said, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. He quoted Habakkuk 1-5, Look, you scoffers, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And after quoting those verses, it indicates in Acts 13, verse 42, that the people asked Paul and Barnabas to tell them more about these things on the next Sabbath. And so, you know, it sounds, sounded like Paul and Barnabas had an open door here for the gospel. In fact, it indicates in Acts 13, verse 43, that after Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue, the people were following them around from place to place, wanting to hear more. So on the following Sabbath day, it indicates in verse 44 that almost everyone in the city came to hear the word of the Lord. Wow, what an opportunity! You know, I imagine Paul and Barnabas were as excited as they could be for this reception that they were receiving. Unfortunately, as I read for you a few moments ago, the Jews became jealous when they saw the huge crowds and they began insulting Paul and Barnabas and arguing about what Paul was teaching. They blasphemed Paul. In other words, they were attempting to injure his reputation among the people. And... I, I don't know, you know, it kind of makes you wonder what was going through the minds of Paul and Barnabas, you know, during that time. You know, God had commissioned them through the church in Antioch, and Paul was just pouring his heart out to his people, the, the Jewish people whom he dearly loved. I mean, he was one. Telling them the greatest news that had ever been told. And they rejected him and his teaching. And I would imagine that it discouraged Paul and Barnabas. I mean, just as it did Jesus when he, you know, wept over Jerusalem. Have you ever experienced a situation where you had done your best 
and your best was rejected. <laughs> I have. It's discouraging. I mean, you begin to doubt yourself and, and, and maybe wonder if, you know, if this is what you're meant to do. Have you ever tried to share the word with someone and they just outright reject it? I've experienced that a few times. It's, as I said, it's discouraging, makes, makes me feel incompetent. It can actually discourage you from trying again. I recall a number of years ago, I was having a Bible study with a couple who had been visiting our church. And they were an older a church in Kansas City, not here. They were an older couple considering marriage. And the man had a Baptist background, and I can't remember what the woman's background was, but I had been sharing with them these verses that had to do with God's plan of salvation. Uh, as I understood it, such as belief, confession, repentance, and baptism. And we had several studies together, and on one occasion the man said to me, well, he, he, he wanted to go back and talk to his Baptist minister friend about it. And so the next time we got together... He laid into me about the churches of Christ and how they rely so heavily on baptism. We always use that one verse in Acts, Acts 2.38. Even though I had shown him a number of verses on baptism, not just that one. So they, they rejected what I had shown them in Scripture and, and left that day and decided to just go to another church. It was discouraging for me. You know, I, I thought I had been making progress. The, the woman seemed really interested, and he just shut it down and rejected what I had shared with them in regard to baptism. Rejection tempts you to respond in several different ways. I mean, it can make you angry, which can result in some irrational actions, such as thinking, okay, well, if you want to go to hell, that's your choice. It can make you feel incompetent. You know, can cause you to doubt your abilities. You know, well, it's obviously not my gift. And you know, it may not be your gift. But it might be your gift. It just needs to be developed a little bit. Rejection can also tempt you to become bitter. You know, which may lead to, I don't know, pouting, sulking, wallowing in self-pity, or just giving up completely. Rejection was another barrier that Satan employed in an attempt to halt the spreading of the word. And what's important for us to note is how Paul and Barnabas responded to that rejection. They, they didn't respond with anger. You know, Paul, however, warned the Jews that the Lord instructed he and Barnabas to speak the word of God to the Jews first. But Paul said, if your Jews are not going to listen, then we're going to go to the Gentiles because the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what they did. They didn't question their abilities. They didn't sulk. They turned and went to people who would listen. The Gentiles. And the Gentiles loved it. Acts 13, 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So many people did believe. 
In Acts 13, 49, it reads, the message of the Lord was spreading through the whole country. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they, they could have allowed the rejection of the word, rejection of them by some of the Jews to discourage them from spreading the word anymore. And what a tragedy that would have been. Because there were so many who did accept the word. So in a sense, they rejected rejection. And kept preaching the word to those who were willing to listen to it. Those who wanted to hear it. And you and I need to respond in that same way. Rubel Shelley once wrote, Everyone suffers an occasional rejection. Some people eternalize the, the rejections they encounter to such a degree that they become paralyzed by life. They abandon their dreams and they settle for, for less than God intended for their lives. They give up and resign themselves to mediocrity. They allow the judgments of other people about them to define them. And what a shame. Imagine the difference that would have made in our world if certain people had accepted others' rejection of them as the final word on their worth. Beethoven's music teacher said he was hopeless at composing. The Wright brothers were ridiculed for their dream of a flying machine. Albert Einstein was feared to be mentally retarded as a child. Martin Luther King was born to a culture that had institutionalized racism to make people like him stay in their place. Many of you have probably seen pictures of Michelangelo's sculpture of David. Many people judge it to be the world's most perfect piece of sculpture. Uh, the master, that masterpiece that's, that is David was carved from a single block of marble that two artists had already discarded for its imperfections. So, and so it might have been with actually David himself. You know, when God sent Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel, neither Samuel nor Jesse... The family patriarch to whom God had sent him considered David to be in, even in the running. Uh, he wasn't even invited for, out into, in from the fields to, to even meet Samuel that day. I mean, he, he was, after all, just a boy tending sheep. But the, the David narrative contains this line in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. So just as Michelangelo would later see possibilities for a flawed block of marble that others had discarded, God saw possibilities for a raw young man who others appear to have discarded. So a rejected block of marble in Michelangelo's hands yielded artistic brilliance. A slighted youth in God's hands became the legendary king of Israel. So why should you let life's slights and rejections define you? In the hands of the master, you still have infinite possibilities before you to prove all your critics wrong. I, I probably told you before, I had an architecture, in my architecture design class, I had a critic who came up and told me as I was working on a project, you might want to think of another major. That made me mad. I was determined to prove him wrong. 
Donna rejected me in the eighth grade, but I just want you to know I had other girlfriends after that. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas refused to let the critics get the best of them. Instead, they turned to the Gentiles. And what Paul and Barnabas understood, and this is important, was that the Jews weren't rejecting them. They were rejecting Jesus. Because all Paul and Barnabas was do, were doing was, was preaching God's truth. You know, they, they were rejecting the message, not the messengers. What happened to Paul and Barnabas is exactly about which Jesus warned his disciples in Luke 10, verse 16. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So the Jews weren't rejecting Paul and Barnabas. They were rejecting God. They were rejecting what Paul and Barnabas were teaching about God. And I have to admit, this is probably silly of me, but when, I, when people visit our congregation, they don't come back, I feel responsible. I feel like I failed in some way. What I have to remind myself is that in ministry, there are going to be times of rejection. Just like the married couple I spoke about earlier. It's no different today than it was 2,000 years ago. You know, a lot of people are not going to accept the gospel. That's just the way it is. I mean, there are even Christians today that reject the church. So how should we respond to those situations? If we allow ourselves to become angry or discouraged and feel like we're, <laughs> we're no good at it, then Satan wins. If we have to remember that when people reject the gospel or the Lord's church, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Him. I, I've talked to many people who quit going to church. They quit going to church because someone said something they didn't like. When you reject the church, you reject Him. The church is His body. We can't allow, you and I can't allow rejection to discourage us from spreading the word. The power of the gospel comes from God, not you and me. Your task, my task, is to tell the truth about the gospel. If people reject the truth, that's not your problem. That's their problem. And if you begin to doubt yourself, if you begin to doubt your competence to share the truth, please understand that God is not limited by you. God's power is not limited by your powerlessness. Who are you? If you think that way, who are you to think you can limit God's power? You can't thwart God's will. No one can. Your job is simply to plant the seeds and God gives the increase. And you don't always know. You don't always know whether the seed you planted is going to grow. I am a very poor judge of an effective sermon. Sometimes I can't wait to present a message to you. You know, as I'm working on it during the week and I'm tweaking it, and I'm going, oh man, this sounds good, man. I'm going to knock their socks off on Sunday, you know. And typically, after one of those sermons, no one says a word to me. Not even the trite phrase, good sermon. I know what it means when someone says good sermon. It means it wasn't that good, I just wanted to encourage you. On other occasions, 
I'll pray to God at the end of the week, say, Lord, you're going to have to do a miracle here with this one. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get out of here as soon as I can on Sunday morning. I'm not sure which one that is yet today, but I'm thinking typically when I, that's when I receive the most positive comments. And maybe you just felt sorry for me, I don't know. But obviously I'm just a poor judge of a good, a good sermon. And my point is, you just don't really know when you serve in some ministry or work in some way for the growth of the kingdom, what a difference it's making. The difference isn't always evident and it isn't always immediate. And I think that God does it on purpose to keep us from getting a big head. Not all seeds germinate immediately. The seeds that we plant. Did you know that the Chinese bamboo tree doesn't break ground until four years after the seeds are planted? So never let rejection stop you from engaging in the Lord's work of spreading the word. First of all, there's no more important work that you can do in life or will ever do in life than the Lord's work. Sometimes the work may seem pointless, but you just never know how God may use you in a way to further the kingdom. So rejection was one of the barriers that the early church experienced as it began. And rejection is going to occur in ministry from time to time. It's how you respond to it that makes all the difference. It's no different in life. You know, a lot of negative events occur in life. The key to success is how you respond to it. You must reject rejection. In other words, don't, don't let it discourage you from spreading the word. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Instead, understand that they are not rejecting you. They are rejecting God. Rejection is just a tool that Satan uses to try to discourage you, to cause you to doubt yourself, to get you to quit. Because we have to remember that Satan's goal is to prevent the word from being spoken. And if you and I stop speaking the word, Satan wins. And we can't let him win. When the Jews rejected Paul's teaching, Paul's response was just to go somewhere else and preach the gospel. Because he knew they weren't rejecting him. They were rejecting God. So keep on keeping on. Don't quit. No matter what the response is. Every week, we present an opportunity to accept God for those who have not yet done so. God calls upon every person to come to him to be saved. When you ignore that call, it's a rejection of God and his saving grace. Why would anyone reject the opportunity to be forgiven and saved? I, I don't know. So I encourage you this morning... To accept the invitation that God extends to you. Believe his word. Believe in his son. Believe. We invite you to come and let us know if we can help you do that this morning as we stand and sing this song.